This weekend in Tulsa, Oklahoma, President Trump relaunched his presidential campaign. We begin, we begin our campaign. As he ramps up his bid for re-election, two major issues hang over his campaign. The coronavirus pandemic and a nationwide reckoning over race. But before he climbed onto the stage in Tulsa, the president sat down for an exclusive interview in the Oval Office with our White House reporter and defended his responses to these two crises. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, June 22nd. Coming up on the show, the president confronts two major upheavals as his re-election campaign ramps up. life had a remote control. You could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Before President Trump's rally in Tulsa this weekend, our colleague Michael Bender took a trip to the White House. I haven't been to the White House all that often in the last few months because of coronavirus. It was a little jarring to go into the White House right now. I had to have my temperature checked outside. They asked me a a series of questions about how I was feeling. Once inside, I took a coronavirus test and waited about a half an hour for the results before I could see the president. And then I was walked through the West Wing to the Oval Office I sat down in a chair right on the other side of the Resolute desk. And any seats? And you know, just anything on this Set my recorder on the corner of his desk and waited for about 20 minutes before the president even came in. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah? I think we're doing good. I just got some good poll numbers. Did you? The president immediately told me how well he was doing in the polls, which conflicts with all of the public polling we're seeing, which shows him trailing nationally and in some pretty key battleground states. He talked kind of broadly about those polls, so we didn't spend too much time on it. And when you guys started talking about the pandemic, what was the tone he struck? I mean, when it comes to the coronavirus, the president wants to move forward. He's basically putting the pandemic in the rearview mirror here. And um, I think that, uh, you know, the numbers are very small. They said there's a spike. The spike is... I wish Mike were here because he was showing me the numbers before. It's like very few people. And I think they're in great shape. And I would even say the spike ends has already ended. But uh, there's so no well. tangible evidence that he's correct. And in fact, most public health experts are warning Americans that we still need to be very careful when it comes to this virus. And meanwhile, coronavirus cases in the U.S. are starting to tick up again. Yeah, that's right. We're seeing numbers increase across the country throughout the Southwest. And not to be too crass about this, but in politically important states here in battlegrounds where Trump and Biden are going to be head to head in Arizona, in Florida, in Wisconsin. So what did the president say about that? When it comes to an increase, I asked him if there was a second spike in New York or in Michigan where they've had a lot of cases, would he push to test everyone in New York, everyone in Michigan, to find 
and isolate those cases? And his answer to me was absolutely not. No, I wouldn't. I personally think testing is overrated, even though I created the greatest testing machine in history. I've created the greatest testing machine in history. I think testing is overrated. Why is that? Because I think you'll have it and you'll test. I'm not saying testing is bad. And certainly you test people and you want to see whether or not they have it. But um, the testing can lead to a lot of mistakes also. Look, if we didn't test all the cases that we're reporting, you wouldn't know about any of those cases. In many ways, it makes us look bad. The fact that we're so good at something makes us look bad. He is concerned about the number of cases in the U.S., that he sees this as a reflection on him, and he sees this as a reflection on the country, that the U.S. has the most cases, and in his mind, that is, that's a data point to use to attack him. It's not just the number of cases that's become political. Even wearing masks, something the CDC has recommended, is seen by some as an attack on the president. He doesn't seem to like masks very much. He's attacked Joe Biden a number of times for wearing a mask. He's gone after reporters in the White House for wearing a mask while asking him questions. He did acknowledge that there's a chance people wear masks as a protest to him to show their displeasure for President Trump. And there is a part of him that takes that personally. And the question of masks was also front and center in the lead up to Trump's rally in Tulsa, his first since the pandemic started. I asked him if he was going to be okay with the supporters wearing their masks at the rallies, and, and he was unequivocal about that. So is it, it's okay if the, your supporters at the rally... Absolutely. They can wear them or not. I want them to be happy. They're going to have, we're going to have a good time. Yeah. I want them to be happy. But I should also point out that whether it's at the rally or at his convention in August, the Trump people have made very clear to local officials that, that masks will be optional. Where they draw the line on the ground is that no one's going to be required to wear a mask to a Trump event. But if they want to, that's fine. While these public health questions hang over the future of Trump's campaign, he's turned his criticism toward China. For a long time, he's blamed China for the coronavirus outbreak. But in his interview with Michael, he also went a step further. In our interview, he went so far as to say there's a possibility that China hid the effects of this virus, allowed it to spread beyond their borders intentionally, as a way to damage other economies so that it wasn't only the Chinese economy that was hurt by the virus. And there's a chance that it was intentional. You think that's a lesser chance? Yeah, I think so, because I don't think I don't think they would do that, but you never know. And in an, an intentional But it, it had it has had an impact to on spread me. the economic consequences across Correct. The world. They're saying, man, we're in a mess. The United States has killed himself again. It's a pretty explosive charge. It is. Is there any evidence to support it? No, there's no tangible evidence to support that. And I made sure to ask him if he had any, if there was any intelligence, if there were any data points, any dots he was connecting here to lead him to that charge. And he didn't. It was just a, an idea he had. Or do you have uh, well, intelligence? It was or obvious. Or? And the reason is the tariffs. No, I meant on the... Um, uh, on the chance that they let this virus get beyond their borders on purpose. Is that, is that just a sense you have? Yeah, it's only my, my uh, it's a sense that that could have happened. Yeah. Okay. Um, I hope not. 
Yeah. And I hope we'll be able to find it out. This finger-pointing over who's to blame for the state of the U.S. economy is especially important to Trump because before the coronavirus, he was running for re-election on his economic record. Unemployment was at an all-time low, and the U.S. was in its longest economic expansion ever, which the president was eager to point out in the interview. He even had an aide bring him a prepared list of his accomplishments. Give me a list. Give me a list. Of, oh, look at her. She's so unbelievable. She is so quick. I look up and she's walking in with a list. Look at that. Take this and read it. Okay. Because honestly, this is page after page of things that I've done. Many of those economic accomplishments have been wiped away. And the president is now trying to show that he can get the country out of a recession. We've lost decades of jobs growth in just a few months. And most economists think that it's going to take years, if not decades, for that to come back. But the president sees this as happening much quicker. And I think next year we can have a better, we can have one of the best years we've ever had. What does that look like, building the new And don't forget, so far I've been right. His data point for that has been the unemployment rate and retail sales in this past month, both of which set records and both that exceeded expectations for Wall Street and economists who, who predict these sort of things. And he thinks that there will be a lot of momentum heading into the end of the year, which is when he's up for re-election. And he's couching it a little bit by saying, we're going to see a lot of jobs growth in these next few months, and then we're going to just explode. The economy is just going to explode next year, right? A tremendous number of jobs, a tremendous increase. I expect a tremendous increase in GDP. And we'll be heading, you know, for the top. We'll be back. Uh, and we've, we've got a lot of advantages, a lot of experience. We did it once and we'll do it again. I mean, I mean, what he's trying to do here is say, stick with me. I built this economy in the first place and I can rebuild it a second time. But the question President Trump is facing for his reelection isn't just whether he can rebuild the economy. The United States is also in the midst of a reckoning over racism. How President Trump plans to confront that after the break. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Welcome back. In his interview, Michael asked President Trump about the protests over the killing of George Floyd and the conversations about racism that are happening across the country. So when it comes to the protests, the president doesn't really want to talk about the race issues that are causing these. I asked him if he believed there was systemic racism in the country. In the country? Yeah, in America. Uh, Hopefully not, Mm -hmm. but there's always something going on that's bad. There's always something going on. And he was ambivalent. You said you hope there's not race, systemic racism. Um, Do you think there is? I would like to think there is not. Yeah. I would like to think there is not systemic racism. Um, And uh, it would be whatever I can do to uh, make myself correct on that thought, I'd like to do it. Now, unfortunately, in the real world, there is some, 
but uh, I would like to. I would like to whatever I could do to reduce that or get rid of it. I'd be very happy with. In the world, meaning outside. No, I'm talking okay. about. You're the asking US. me: Is there racism? Uh, you're, are you asking in police departments or the, or the U.S.? It just meant systemic racism yeah. in the country in the yeah. way. I'd like to think there is not. And policing. And yeah, I'd like to think there is not, but unfortunately there probably is some. I would also say it's very substantially less than it used to be. It was interesting to see him consider that question and hedge in his answer. And then we were talking about some of the issues around these protests. And I asked him about his decision to move his campaign rally, which initially had been scheduled for June 19th in Tulsa. And they moved it back a day after a lot of complaints, particularly from African-American leaders, that it was insensitive to hold a rally amid all of this unrest in the country on the day that's commemorating the end of slavery in the United States. You did move the the rally uh, off Juneteenth. Um, can you talk about why? Well, I did that out of respect because mm-hmm. I had uh, two African-American friends and supporters. And most people, and I went to a lot of people, they didn't, they had not heard the term Juneteenth. Mm. Uh, did you know what it was? I did something good. I made it famous. I made Juneteenth very famous. Probably. And it's, a, you know, it's actually a, it's an important event. Mm-hmm. It's it's an important time, but nobody had heard of it. Very few people had heard of it. Actually, a young African American Secret Service agent knew what it was. Mm. I had political people had no idea. Did you? And one notable moment in the interview, he turned to one of his aides who was in the room and asked if she knew what Juneteenth was. Did you ever hear of Juneteenth before? I did from last year when the White House put out a statement. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, we put out a statement. The Trump White House put yes. out a statement. Okay, that's good. There's just not that many African-Americans on staff in this White House, certainly at a senior level. So it was unsurprising that the president struggled to find people who, who knew what this was. Do you think that he is moved by any of these protests at all? I mean, he has. there has been some discussion in the White House about police reforms. That's right. I mean, his instinct here is to support police, is to support law and order. And he's much more comfortable talking about those issues. You know, I've heard concern from uh, aides around him that he has trouble differentiating between the peaceful protesters and what they want and the rioters who are obviously breaking laws and starting fires and inciting violence. And he's had trouble sort of differentiating between the two groups, which is going to lead to problems in in finding solutions and connecting with the protesters who have concerns right now. That tension was on display this weekend when President Trump held his rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. About 30 minutes from now, President Trump is set to take the stage at the Bank of Oklahoma Center in Tulsa. There were protests all around the arena. Uh, largely peaceful. And to be fair, there usually are protests when Trump comes to town, but not like this. Uh, People made sure to come out and register their disapproval for how he's handled the pandemic, how he's handled the protests, how he's handled the economy these last few months. And it was also striking inside the arena. Trump has claimed never to have an empty seat at any of his rallies for four years. And you know, that's largely true. He's, He's not filled every single seat. That's ridiculous. But he does pack his arenas with supporters. That was not the case in Tulsa. 
Attendance for the rally was much lower than the campaign had projected. They said one million people RSVP'd, but local officials estimated that only about 6,000 people were there. The Trump campaign blamed protesters, claiming they were intimidating Trump supporters outside the arena. Our incredible success in rebuilding America stands in stark contrast to the extremism and destruction and violence of the radical left. We just saw it outside. You just saw it outside. You saw these thugs that came along. These people call them protesters. Isn't it beautiful? It's so beautiful. How did the messaging that he tried to present to you in this interview, how did that show up at the rally? There were a lot of parallels between our interview and and the rally, but the difference was he was just hypercharged in Tulsa. One example is in our interview, we were talking about the coronavirus, and he referred to it as the Chinese flu, which is uh, something that not a lot of people in his administration have wanted him to do. In Tulsa, he referred to it as the Kung flu, which is, you know, just by degrees more controversial and racist than almost any other thing he said as it relates to the coronavirus. And we saw similar messages and tones when it comes to the economy and the protests, barely any mention at all of any peaceful protest. It was basically all complaints about violence at protests and how it reflected on on him and his supporters. What does this rally, the messaging, the crowd size, what does it say about where Trump's campaign is at right now with just a few months to go before the November election. Yeah, you can't look at this and, and come to any other conclusion that Trump has a huge hill to climb these next few months if he's going to win re-election. He has a half-full rally. He has Republicans in the in the Senate in open defiance of some of his recent moves. His former national security advisor has a tell-all book and is publicly warning people about the dangers of electing him to a second term. And the polls across the country show that the American public is having similar thoughts. He's down double digits nationally and in trouble in states that just a few months ago, the campaign wasn't worried about at all. So what do you think his messaging will be throughout the remainder of the campaign? How do you think he will try to climb that hill? It's one word, the economy. He sees this as sort of the, uh, the, the cause of and solution to all of his problems. Even when I was talking to him about some of the racial issues and how he's going to help heal the divides of the country, his answer is jobs, that everything will be fine once people get back to work and start making money again. The best way I can do it, it's it's leadership, but I want to bring the economy back because if I can bring the economy back, African-American unemployment was the best it, it has ever been by far number of jobs overall, but you can have Hispanic, Asian, as we said. Um, but if I can bring the economy back, we're going to have great jobs. We're going to have families where life is going to be a lot easier. Their life is just going to be better. And it's not hard to see why he's thinking about that. In our poll a couple weeks ago, Biden was ahead of Trump on basically every issue. Who do you think is better at handling the coronavirus? Who do you think is better at reuniting the country? Who's who's a, a bigger change agent? And the answer is consistently Biden. The one question where Trump has any advantage at all is who do you think is better at bringing back the economy? The question is going to be, come November, is that the biggest concern 
for Americans. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence, a lot of polling, a lot of data that shows that's less of a concern for people now than it has been historically. So not only does Trump have to get that issue to the top of people's minds, but he's got to keep them in a place where they're convinced that he's the one to solve that issue. That's all for today, Monday, June 22nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.